2: all lowercase.
1: That's shopify.com slash tech.
0: The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This
2: one goes down probably on one of my
0: top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. (laughs) As a man, I just, I don't get it. to smartpeoplepodcast.com.
2: Hello, and welcome to Smart People Podcast. Conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Really excited to have you. Listen, this is different from our standard episode. This isn't an author on a press tour. And look, don't get me wrong. I I love those. I mean, been doing them for a decade, but it was really nice to have a different one. See, I was talking to a previous guest, And I was saying, I really want to learn about this Web3 stuff. I think I know a little, but I want to do more. And he said, I've got just the guy for you. So he introduced me to his friend, this guy, Rick, who we're talking to today. So I get on the phone with Rick and start having a conversation. I say, Rick, this needs to be a podcast episode. And so I hit record. My point is It's a little more conversational. And yes, I edited out some of my ignorant musings and ramblings, a couple of spaces, maybe a couple extra swear words than normal. But this is just me and Rick talking about what the future looks like as it relates to money, the internet, social. So if you have wondered about things like Web3, NFTs, cryptocurrency, blockchain, I think you'll enjoy this one. It's palatable, intriguing, and fun. And look, just because this was me and him having a quote unquote conversation doesn't mean there aren't some amazing nuggets dropped here. I've captured many. In fact, my biggest takeaway might not have been on specific technologies, but more so on how our paradigms are shaped entirely by the world we grow up in and how our kids or our grandkids will have completely different ones. To recognize the impact that change, growth, innovation, have on us as humans and as consumers is a really incredible thing to think about. I hope this episode sparks that in you, some fascination. I hope it answers some questions. And Rick is no slouch. In fact, he's the perfect person to have this conversation with. He's been a professional motion designer and 3D animator for a decade. He graduated from the Brand Center in 2014 and has worked with numerous top creative agencies And some of the biggest brands on the planet. He's done so well that the Brand Center actually asked him to come teach there. And so that's one of the things he does now. The Brand Center, by the way, is a full-time master's program at the Virginia Commonwealth University, where they teach people how to use creativity to identify opportunities and solve problems for the world's most innovative brands. And if you think about it, The people utilizing Web3, NFTs, crypto, blockchain, all of those things are the ones doing the creative work at brands at the moment. They are the canaries in the coal mine. You have to be able to create virtual worlds, virtual experiences, virtual spaces, if that's where we're gonna be living and working. You think the metaverse is gonna be a thing? Guess who's gonna build it? Rick is. That's why I had him on the show. I'd love to know what you think. Reach out at Smart People Podcast at gmail.com. And by the way, make sure you're subscribed, not just listening to this episode, because come March, things are going to change around here, and you will only know if you're subscribed. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoy this. Hope you learned something. Here's my conversation with Rick Plautz. Enjoy.
1: You know, we have had so many fads come and go, but yeah. as I dug into it more, um, there's a lot of of major technological changes happening that are once, you know, that have never been done before um, and they'll have lasting impact.
2: Like, I, w- I so obviously I want to go into that stuff. And I, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is because I think it's interesting taking your expertise, what you do, but really the thinking of like an artist and then applying it, to an up-and-coming technology, because I think too often there's experts, but on this topic, unless you're talking to maybe like a Mark Zuckerberg, too many people I think are are doing it to make it their platform.
1: You know, there's also the thing about it too, is that nobody's an expert right, right. now. Um, we've all been kind of reset back to zero, especially uh, last year was like kind of year zero when it really took off. And yeah, I mean, art is just one part of it and luckily because of the digital nature of of web three art is gonna be a major part of it not just art like traditional art but the ability to create 3d art or 3d objects animated objects um, as you see right now with NFTs but also whatever kind of games are gonna be happening in the future but also like beyond gaming how you can build a world in, in this new, like kind of virtual frontier. Um, and those tools are going to come from artists. That's true. First. See, even that
2: selfishly, so many times I've gone, man, if I would have just thought more in depth about that, I could have had more influence and I'd be richer and all these things. Right. Then like podcasting is a perfect example. I cannot believe how much we missed being one of the first real podcasts I could have done one of a hundred things and I'd be like in a mansion today. And that's not the, ulter- the the ultimate goal. But my point is I'm just trying to solve for, for errors I've made in the past where I haven't thought through that. An example of it is exactly what you just said. We might look back and say the coders of 2005 are the graphic designers of 2022 or something like that.
1: Well, I've seen like one of the things I've read about is uh, back in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages, you know, people that could read and write were kind of the exalted ones. They had access and they were respected. Uh, coders are kind of those people now. You know, like they have access to a language that is really kind of exclusive to everybody else. They're trying to change. And they realize too that like they've lost a lot of potential in uh, what could be made because the people that had great ideas couldn't code. One thing that you said earlier, too, that uh, really lit me up, if I could have traveled back in time to 1995 and been like, young Rick, this, like, America Online thing that seems kind of weird and, like, did not understand it, like, get on it right now, because it's going to become the entire world when you get older. And I feel the same thing about right now, what's happening. And so, like... I see all those things happening right now. And it's like, I'm gonna jump on this one because I missed so many before, yeah. you know? so
2: that's funny because it's a similar idea. I was thinking about it. You've probably seen it. A lot of people who listen to the podcast probably seen it, but there was a uh, interview done with uh, Jeff Bezos in like 98 maybe, and they asked him about Amazon. And essentially he says, look, the internet is going to be X. It's currently Y. So I don't really know what business I'm gonna start. But if I do something, it's going to work. Books seem good. And like, he wasn't the genius. You know, the same was Zuckerberg. Like he talks about why did I create it? I don't know. It was going to be a cool way to like, I think judge hot girls or I don't know, something. He literally said that. And I've heard it from experts on this podcast where the average Joe, myself included, gets it wrong is we think we have to be
1: Bezos 2022, not Bezos 98. Totally. And I love that you brought him up because there's a quote I read by him forever ago that was like, I don't think about what's going to change in the future. I think about what's going to stay the same. And I think that was always a really brilliant quote by him. And like, just like he did with Amazon, it's like, well, they're still going to read books. They're still going to need stuff. You know, that's not going to change no matter what year it is.
2: Yes. Okay. All right. So that was helpful. And we kind of dove in and that's just the nature of how, how I have conversations, but Probably if I went to journalism school that I would fail. But what are you interested in about the future of all of this? Is it metaverse? Is it crypto? Is it Bitcoin? Is it, is it NFTs? Or would you call all of that Web3, which we'll get into? I mean, how did you look at it a year ago whenever you started this process that made you go, let me think about that.
1: Honestly, the way I look at it is uh, is Web3 as a whole, which includes uh, blockchain, crypto, NFTs, I look at as the three kind of foundational revolutions uh, of technology that are that are at the bedrock of what Web three is. And honestly, I mean, for the when people say the metaverse, it's kind of like it's uh, I don't know it's it's inaccurate in my opinion because the metaverse what it's going to be is is just like it is now. When you go to Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, these are walled gardens that you go inside of to have experiences. And right now, it's on a screen. But in the future, it'll be a virtual experience, you know. But so there will be like several metaverses, right? You know, okay, good. They're just yeah. that's that's the whole right. point, you know. Like, so it's an inaccurate term, in my opinion, of what's actually going on. Um, and I think when you when you say the word metaverse, you're talking about a virtual experience that's probably going to be social with with gaming elements. But you know, that's going to live again inside of Web three, Web three. Oh wait. Rick, um, I have
2: to, I have to interject here. This was like a aha moment for me. Could we say the metaverse today is the equivalent of if you went back to 2002 ish and said social media, you would think, oh, social media is a thing, but there's been 50 things. Is that a similar way to think about it? That's
1: great. That's exactly that's right. A, yeah.
2: That's cool. That's cool. That's helpful. Awesome. Because you, you know what I mean. Because like. Looking back now, y- you'd be like, what do you mean they didn't know what social media meant? It means all these things, whether it be the failed ones like a MySpace or the ones taking off like a TikTok. But back then, if you could say the world will be social, we will do social online. It's like, oh, so it's this ubiquitous place and it's not, and that's helpful.
1: Yeah, exactly, that's exactly cool. right. That's a good way to put it because I hadn't thought of it that way either. Um, and again, that up another point is uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Right. None of us do. Just like you could go back to 2002 and say it'll be social. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? It's <laughs> like, just wait, you know? And so the way I look at Web3, what fascinates me is this is like a fundamental revolution, not just in technology or the internet or anything. It's in a, revo- it's a revolution in uh, how we regard things as valuable as a civilization. It's an upgrade from our the ability that we have throughout time for thousands of years to trade and assign value to things and then have a monetary system that we can all agree on for trade, for goods and services, this is a evolution in that process. And that's what makes it so fundamentally paradigm shifting. Yeah, I always think about it like how do we know that a dollar is worth a dollar? It's because we all agree on it. It's a story that we tell each other. We've to, it's like the greatest story ever told to mankind because everybody knows it. Everybody believes in it. And we go down to that fundamental level of what we do as a civilization and how we value things. That's all being changed now. And, and because we can you know, authentically value a digital asset, an entirely new world is opening up of value and money and currency and exchange that has never been available before. And one of my favorite things that I learned about is in Web 2, which is what we're currently in, the only thing that we can own as a digital asset right now that is uniquely ours is a domain name. And that's it. All the content that we make ends up being uploaded to a platform that you know technically owns it in the sense that it hosts it. Like We don't own it as we create it. We just give it away for digital hearts and thumbs, right? And the ability to now own whatever we create that goes online is a fundamental shift and a brand new asset class that's never been available before. So
2: this is one of the areas I get hung up. And for those who are going, "Hey guys, slow down!" Like I, I, I want to go back in a moment and talk about what Web One and Web Two are in your in your mind. But like, why do of digital assets need or deserve a value. Almost every tweet, if not in my mind, every tweet created in the history of mankind is rather useless. You know, a meme, for example. Yeah, they're good and they're funny, but who's going to pay for them? They're not that funny. Help me change my thinking around that.
1: No, that's a great point. I mean, but at the same time, uh, you know, someone made the pet rock and it worked. So like, there's the ability to uh, create value out of things physically now, whether we objectively agree with it or not, it's possible. And I do agree with you. The vast majority of social posts are useless and don't have any value, but what's available now is that we could create value out of it. That was never, that was never even a choice before. Um, and like, there's a, there's a thing that I was here about, uh, the statue of David is, there's two ways to look at that statue. It's a piece of marble, or it's a cultural artifact that has priceless value because of the, of the human ingenuity that it took to create that and just the magnificence of, its, of the person's ability to create something like that. And it's the same thing. Like These are cultural artifacts, memes, tweets, all those things, and, and now they're digital cultural artifacts that we can assign value to. And so, I mean, there's, there's that part. Well, I think that is a key
2: distinction here. And I think I have to keep coming back to that, which is we don't yet know what it is. And we're definitely not close, but it is a new frontier. So to your point, yes, everything we've created up until now, and I'm just going to say everything, even though I know that's not true, digitally doesn't have value. Nobody would pay for it. The point is though, it wasn't created with that in mind. When we change the rules of the game, we change the way the game is played. And that is where we are right now.
1: Yeah, and we don't know where it's gonna go.
2: That's the other fascinating part. So how about this dystopian future where everything requires .004 ether to to read this tweet or .001 Solana to see my meme. And now you gotta pay me to to put a heart on it. Again, I'm prescribing today's rules to tomorrow's future. But I'm using it more as like a metaphor for the discussion where every transaction is now even more capitalistic than today, which feels impossible. What are your thoughts on that, (laughs) you know? not saying you have any. It's just where my brain's at.
1: No, I love it. I mean, that's... Well, okay, so I think to answer that, we can go back to the Web 1, 2, 3 timeline. So, and very generally, Web 1 was... The very first beginning. So it was basically made by coders, folk for coders. And they were just web pages, mostly text. You couldn't create anything unless you knew HTML, you know? Um, and it was mostly like a thought experiment in a way. It was like, hey, we can do this. Like, what can we do with it? it so well, I can make a web page and then I can send it to you, you know? But it was that first initial kind of adventure into the internet. That was the ability to share things digitally whether it was hard to create or not um, and it was all very decentralized the point of why one was like the internet in general was initially like a DOD experiment of, of creating different nodes of servers around the country in case there was some kind of war that knocked out a central place for information and communication so the internet came out of that idea that was like well it needs to be decentralized in case things get knocked out in certain places. So the, the, the centralized nature of web one was, was like a defining feature. I thought it was and Al Gore, 2. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, why not? No, just kidding.
2: Actually, that was a cool, I didn't even know the, the rationale behind web one. I mean, I knew what it was,
1: but I didn't know how. So that was cool. And then web two was what we see now, which is social media where it was very much, very easy to create content. It's all very visual and And multimedia, um, everything we see now. But what came out of that was centralization. It became centralized platforms, and we all just lived on them. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all of those places. We all know those and 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 Spotify and LinkedIn. So the these huge corporations centralized these platforms, and then everybody gravitated towards them, and they offered, the ability to create content easily and to share everything and, and have these networks. Uh, but they were owned by these huge companies and they took all the data and everything. And then one of the things I always like to think about is like, I think it, this, I might get this wrong, but in with Spotify, you like an artist gets like 0.05 cents per stream, you know? And like some of the top artists on Spotify, like in the world, make like 50 grand a year from their streams. And, you know, that's a major reaction in Web3. What's happening right now is like these platforms are hosting the content and making all the money off the content when the artists and the creators get like a little tiny penny out of it. Um, And so what's happening with Web3 is this reaction to taking, basically having the creators own their content. So like you had said, you know, like it might take, it might cost 0.1 soul to read my tweet. I don't know if that's really going to be the case, but the point of all of this is to give the creators back their power and their value and the things that they make and take it away from the platforms. You know what? Okay. So I, I'm sure you weren't done yet, but now
2: you got me sparked. Like here's one cool thing that might come of it. As you just said that, uh, less, Bullshit put out there because if it doesn't add like a, a focus on quality over quantity, which has like never been since the internet started. Never thought of that. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's so, and that's that was I remember this. You know, years ago there was this discussion about email and actually charging people to send email, and there was then it was like thrown away because they wanted it to be available to anybody. But then, of course because it's free then you get spam all the time because there's no because it's quantity over quality like you're saying like it's it's a quantity thing and we don't have to worry about quality because we can just shower the world in emails for with no consequence and i think you're right like that could be a really good example of what is possible you know and again we don't know what's going to happen I mean, those and the idea and like i still can't wrap my head around the idea that like well if i want to listen to an artist but i want to make sure that they get paid for their work Am I got to pay every time I play it? Like, is there no more Spotify, like where I can go and see other related music to my favorite stuff? You know, like, are we going to lose? Like, there is a good thing about platforms where we everyone shows up and we can, we can learn new things from different people that are adjacent to our current interests. You know, like, what's that going to look like? We don't know yet. Um, that's another kind of frontier that, uh, as we see this being built out, Uh, we don't really have an answer for.
2: What about, I I think I read it recently and it it talks a little bit about what you mentioned not too long ago, which is it's still going to have to be platform-based. It was actually a really sobering article and it was about VCs. It says VCs will own Web3. And it was like, you're crazy if you think this decentralized vision that's being perpetrated is going to come true because the money won't let it. And so they'll just figure out another way, you know, if it's just another version of YouTube or Spotify, any thoughts on how it though progresses us towards, you know, valuing
1: each other's work? That's a great, no, that's, that's the one thing I think about too. It's like, we still need places to gather <laughs> to, to even just, we need a we still need a village to go to, you know, how does that work? And, it, you know, it might just show up as a way that there still is a platform but it's completely transparent and all the transactions can be seen and there's no like the middleman you can see how much where all the money's going. You know, maybe it could be just more transparent. Right. And there's a lot more uh, of the cut going back to the artists if they want to be on it because they could just also host their own and you could just go to their website. Like I could just go to Adele's website and listen to her stuff individually I don't know though I mean that's a great question and I think that's part of us you know as humans dealing with this kind of new experiment in like you're saying like we have only a current understanding of how the world currently works and inside that uh, this doesn't really work and I think we're kind of we're like in the same way that web one moved into web two like there was the old world melding into the new one and we're still currently in the old world right now. We can't, and it's hard for us to see what is going to happen. What do, you th- you're right. what do you think sparked this?
2: Is it, is it fair to say that blockchain technology is the reason we can have Web3?
0: And now a word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I'm honestly pumped to talk to you all about Athletic Greens. I've been using their product for about a month now every day. I was overtaking pills and vitamins on a daily basis, and I wanted something that actually tasted good, and I wanted to see what all the hype was about. And I can confidently tell you it's worth it. Athletic Greens is quick and easy, it shakes up well, and it tastes really good. It doesn't taste like you're having vitamins or trying to consume something healthy. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. I take AG1 every morning before my coffee and my breakfast. I get up, pour some water, pour the athletic greens in it, shake it up, And make sure I finish before my day gets started. Athletic Greens contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it still tastes good. For me, I find it supports my mental clarity and alertness. You've got to check out Athletic Greens. They have over 7,000 five-star reviews, and it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash smart. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash smart to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. One more time, that's athleticgreens.com slash smart. And now back to the episode.
1: Yeah, I think so, because um, crypto came out of blockchain and crypto, or Bitcoin specifically, was a reaction to um, federal reserve banks having the, the levers over entire countries or even entire economies that spread the world. It was a reaction to we need to have a different way to establish value that, that is beyond the kind of physical gold standard or other ways that uh, you know, federal banks um, control economies. And so it was a reaction to, and and we can see it happening right now with, it's just inflation and everything in the country going on. We need a better option uh, for value and and for currency and for money.
2: I want to go back to that idea of money and currency because I think, and I want you also to guide it to like where you find is most interesting. So you just take it where you want. But uh, even as we talk about Web3, but you said something earlier that's really stuck with me. This idea of the greatest story the world has ever been told. I think that most people listening understand the concept of like money is only as good as what we make it. I I think that that maybe five years ago, not so much or 10 years ago, but like it's been perpetrated. What I hadn't thought of though, is the fact that we don't even have to intentionally tell people that without, and it'll still permeate every nook and cranny of society. And what I mean is like, I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. My six-year-old's getting a sense. My three-year-old has no idea. But I have not once sat out to like really try to help them understand what money means. But they will, and they have to, and they will take it as gospel until they're old enough, probably somewhere around 18 to 30, whatever, to say like, oh, this is just a, this is the same as like a wampum right? It's just a way for us to say, like, I gave you a chicken and you know how to make drumsticks, right? Like, you, you know what I'm saying? So I like it because if, if we think about, uh, I've interviewed somebody a long time ago that talked about what makes us different and at the top of the food chains. And one of the things is the ability to transmit information through language. A lot of people know that. So we tell stories and that's how we, but think about money. Like, Holy shit, I understand the reason for it, but the fact that everybody for thousands of years understands the meaning and it doesn't even have to go disgust is insanity. I was just a rant yes. there, but like I just like your narrative of greatest story ever told.
1: Thanks man. No, that's that was what really lit me up was just like we're adding to that chapter where this is the new chapter in that story. And it goes down to the very basic level of of who we are as a civilization, and that's what really set me off. Because you're right; like, we just all assume that it's worth something, and and we live and die literally by the money that we make. And if we, and now here here is presented a challenge to that whole story, um, while also providing an opportunity to have things that are to have value out of things that we never considered before that will go on uh, into the future for however long uh, we have money, I would assume. That's the stuff that really, really interests me. Um, Metaverse is just like a small subset of all of that because, again, it's going to change everything that that, that money touches, which is everything. And it's almost like because we are able to value a new asset class and these new things that we can just imagine up, uh, out of nothing and provide an assign a value to them. And then people can argue over it and trade over it and then, and then sell it and buy it. And like, what is, what are we doing here as humans? And why do we fight so hard over, over resources and money for so long if we can just make it up like we are? instead of being granular about like let's say digital assets or
2: anything like that if we zoom out based off what you just said right money touches everything and we can assign value differently going forward what are the implications of that on like a macro level in
1: your mind i'm looking at this optimistically that uh this is a very valuable opportunity to seriously address wealth inequality in the world it's possible because there's there's kind of a brand new economy developing in front of our eyes to rewrite the rules from the beginning to make it fair and more equal. That's my hope. You know, the ability to say you wanted to raise funds for some kind of community project. You could now do it uh, online, not just by asking for people for money on like a Kickstarter, but it could actually be a token that, appreciates in value over time and can be traded on an exchange and then that token can be used for other community projects. Um, I don't know. I mean those those things right there is really where I I don't know, I just think that's really fascinating. We have a chance right now, as this new economy happens in front of us, to uh to include people that have been discluded for so long.
2: Man, it's so funny. This conversation, more than many I've ever had, is taking me on a roller coaster of emotions. Let me explain what just happened in about one minute of my brain. As you were explaining that, I'm like, I get it. And here's what I mean. I think a lot of the problems with this country and then can be a symptom for the world. So let's just say that are political. I just, I am amazed at our inability to think holistically, long-term, empathetically, decently about a lot of things. And it's driven by politics. And what are politics- it's just people's opinions, and we need those, and those will never go away. But what muddies the waters is money. Like, it just does. Because to your point, money is does touch every facet, right? Okay, so imagine this. Imagine we remove the centralized ability to print money. You remove it. So, like, you want roads built. You can't just print money and pay people. It has to come from somewhere. Now we have to make different decisions, because if that capacity or ability is owned by everyone, not a group, then you can't do that. You have to, you have to come up with a new pitch for how we're going to build roads or take fundraising for presidential campaigns, which is totally wrong right now. Like it is categorically broken and I think everybody knows it, but nobody can really do anything about it. So then I got really excited, but then I said this in my head, which is, well, the rich people are just going to buy all the tokens. The tokens will lead to power. It's the same process, just a different master. And now I'm back to where I am initially. No, I think you, I mean,
1: yeah. I'm I'm not saying you have the answer. This
2: is a discussion for obvious reasons, but.
1: I I feel the same way. It's, you know, and just like you had said earlier with uh, VCs are going to own Web3. I don't entirely believe that just because I think, uh, again, the power is going to come from the creators of whatever this is and just like Gordon Gekko and Wall Street you know he said we create nothing we just own things you know again this is me being optimistic sure. i guess is artist in me but i it's always been the creators that have made the world change and there hasn't been a way to really pay them what they can do and this and well that's not true but now because so much of what is made is made digitally. Now there's a way for that to happen. But yeah, I mean, there's going to be greed. It's, But I don't know, for me, like, it's almost this thing where it's like, well, if if everybody can get paid, then everybody can be rich, and then nobody's rich, and then why do we need money? And it's almost like that's the end of the book, in my opinion. And then we become Star Trek, and we start traveling through space. Well, hey, I'm good with that book. But... Anyway, I just like that part, I don't know. You're right.
2: I like that because it, it identified, I think my still to this minute, my blind spot, which is, or my inability to understand, which is this all is predicated on the belief or the assumption that digital creation is the importance of the future. And as somebody who is not in your shoes, actually never has been, meaning I remember when my brother and my dad used to talk about Ram and ROM when I was like six, they loved it. And I was like, you guys are idiots. I'm going to go play baseball. Like, that's just how I've always been. So help me understand that, like the the importance of digital today and tomorrow, because I still work in a world where like, yeah, I might hop on Zoom, which is digital, but like I'm in people and I'm going to go, you know, do those things. Help me understand that aspect.
1: Oh man, I mean, digital has gotten to be so good and it's getting to be so much easier to create things. Um I look at it as as possibly the easiest way for the world to see someone's imagination. <clears throat> and I think we need that. We, you know, we need the ability to envision different worlds. We can and we can think about live action movies versus animated movies. But then the sense that like most live action movies contain so many visual effects that they're in a way animated movies in some way. So the the sense of digital versus physical, uh, that line is, is blurring more and more. Um, and I don't think that, I don't know. I don't personally believe in that vision of like, we're just going to be like stuck in our rooms, like, plugged into a machine the matrix they're, they're ready Player one yeah yeah, in, in, in yeah, right. two, yeah yeah i don't i mean we're still going to need physical spaces we're still going to have bodies that walk around and need things and i think that what i don't know i just look at it as a way to make our imaginations easier for the world to see and whatever shape that takes you know is digital in my opinion well make our imagination easier for the world to
2: see. That's a I just I just found a uh, a clip that's going on TikTok. No worries there. Just uh <laughs> No, I mean it's 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 a really trippy way to put it. I can hear the artist in you coming out. <laughs> Thanks. But in a good way. How are you viewing crypto at the, at this exact moment, right? Because well, let me rephrase. I'll probably edit this out of the conversation, but like I can't stand when people like Gary Vaynerchuk, this is NFTs, come out and say, I promise you right now, NFTs will be the way of the future. It's like, no shit, dude. Like uh, you can't say that in 1998, the internet will be the way of the future. And then in 2020 be like, see, I told you so. Because that doesn't help. Like, yes, we all know, but that's so macro. So today, how do you view something like crypto?
1: Well, I think um, today we're, messing around with a brand new set of paints and we're not entirely sure what we can make with it. Um, so there's going to be a lot of mistakes, a lot of cash grabs, things like that. But crypto in general, um, it's, it is just another uh, currency class now. Um, and the thing about crypto is a lot more of it right now is conceptual, but there's real value to it. So that part is really fascinating to me. So there's this thing happening right now uh, called social tokens. It's, it's going to happen this year. It's going to come out. There's one called Chili's. CHZ is the token that uh, I'm not affiliated. I just think it's fascinating. But um, these sports teams are uh, are signing on to this token. And the point of the token is basically to – like if I'm a fan of Juventus, the soccer team – I can invest in their their token, which is like the Juventus token, which is traded uh, underneath Chili's, the, like the main token. And so the team gets actual value from the people that invest, which are their fans, into that token. And then the fans, if the value of the token goes up, benefit financially from the success of the team.
2: Yeah. It's like the web three version of buying shares in a company, but you can do it in everything. Yes. And it's social. What do you mean by that? Social
1: in a sense of the amount of followers are now investors basically. Uh. And every like is, is like a vote of confidence or like you, you know, it's, it'll be possible. I'm assuming at some point to monetize the amount of engagement in a social post, not just like through fuzzy math of like, you know, if an influencer pedals a product, the, the, the company that makes a product can, can like kind of loosely define that they had a sales bump from that influencer post. It's more like, no, uh, every engagement resulted in this much growth from the token, like directly, you know? And so not just like teams, but uh celebrities, sports figures, they're all going to have their own token, or they're going to be traded underneath like a like a you know kind of umbrella token like chili's, and all of that engagement is now going to be monetized
2: man i'm i'm trying so the way I envision that is we're putting a stock market on everything right and I'm not saying this is bad i I, I see both sides. My question is. The boomer in me is thinking like, yeah, but the reason the stock market works for companies is because companies have a cash flow that you can evaluate. Now, the flip side to that argument would be, yeah, but we left that that argument when technology came out because PE ratios used to be whatever, 10 and now they're a thousand. And that's because you're betting on future growth. So I could see that. I mean, the reason I bring it up is I was thinking about this podcast, right? We don't make enough money. <laughs> and by enough, I mean hardly any in my mind. And that's not why we do it. But the reason is the way the payment structure is, is either either like, hey, if you like us, donate, which cool, or it's advertising. But if it was tokenized, that would be cool. But then I go back to, but aren't they only investing in the token? betting on the value of the podcast goes up. The value of the podcast only goes up if there's additional revenue streams, which is no different than having a company that is selling shares in the first place. So I don't know how it gets socialized as more opposed to we're just betting on your balance sheet.
1: Well, there's also that you also do create value in the people that you have on, the ideas that you share. and. All this, all the actual value of the podcast is what people get out of it when they listen to it, you know, and that is only like, it's a tangential benefit almost monetarily because the advertisers come to you because that, because of the audience you have, but the actual audience doesn't really care about the ads. They care about what you provide. And so like, if you could tokenize what you actually provide. As opposed to living off of advertisers' money, like there's another revenue stream there of the actual value that you create. So
2: how, I think this is really important. And again, like, please know, as we say at the beginning, I'm not expecting you to have answers. This is, this is more a conversation I'm going to state at the beginning. How does that differ in your mind from saying, if you like us enough, give us
1: money? Just because most people don't do that.
2: Right. No, I know. It's not what you're saying, it's my interpretation. That's why I'm hoping to clarify. It sounds like it's like our value is the art we put into the world. We have a token that symbolizes that art. Invest in our token. And that's where it's that's where the understanding stops for me.
1: No, I think uh, you know, I mean, and again, this is all conceptual, of course, but totally yeah. the ability because I think the way it could work is there would be a like a like a podcast token, not just like just for your podcast by itself, but it's almost like uh there is a general token that you invest in that your listeners invest in, and it it incorporates all of the other all these podcasts that people believe in, and as listeners invest in that token and the podcasts create value that is now a, a tradable asset that can go on an exchange and become appreciate or depreciate in value. It's almost like a commodity, like we're commoditizing the actual value of things in the, in a digital world. Whereas before, like trying to assess a value of how valuable a podcast would be is kind of a guessing game, you know. And it could be beneficial for a lot of people to for have it to be a guessing game, but there's also the possibility that you can now add a, add a, a real world financial value uh, to things that, that didn't exist before. And your followers can become investors in that success uh, much easier because you wouldn't, you had to become a public company and sell stocks See, to actually do that. And that, that part makes a lot of sense. Hey,
2: smart people, quick break in the conversation with Rick. And I have a question for you Have you thought about? taking CBD. Have you heard the benefits as it relates to stress, sleep, pain, things of that nature? The answer has to be yes. Again, unless you're living under a rock. I do a lot of research when looking at brands. I take pride in the products that go in my body, and I mentioned it on the podcast, but Tonic Vibe CBD is legit. One of my favorites, I told you, it's called the OG Tonic. It combines CBD, ashwagandha, and black seed oil. Now, Google those three ingredients separately and tell me what you think of them. There's a lot of CBD products out there. I've told you, this all starts with a certified, organic, family-owned craft hemp farm. That's where they make it. They have the whole process under that same roof. They put it into these proprietary blends with some incredible results. You will get 20% off your order and free shipping if you head to tonicvibes.com dot com slash smart people twenty percent off and free shipping for one of the cleanest CBD products in existence Tonicvibes.com dot slash smart people let's get back to the show an easier easier access to supporting the things that you believe in and also the potential of getting a return on that where it diverges for me is the success of that token is still predicated on the financial success of the business. It's kind of like a Ponzi scheme to an extent, and and that's where I get caught up because people could say, but isn't money? We're only believing in it in the way that somebody else is gonna believe in it. Cause like now you have me thinking, I wanna create a, a podcast token, like legitimately, right? And so as a thought experiment, if we walk through that, talk that through with me. Imagine how that might work. I'm a podcast enthusiast or a podcaster. Where does the token play a role that benefits like all parties?
1: So here's what I was thinking about. So say we have all this set up. So I'm an investor in the podcast token and and you are part of that umbrella podcast inside the token like let's take joe rogan for example like uh when elon musk got high on his show that became uh this humongous you know news making event so i know as an investor in the podcast token that joe rogan's a part of that uh the value of that token is going to go up because of the of the cultural implications that happen on that show so it is it's kind of like a cultural stock almost like it's and it's not so much that like I'm going to benefit monetarily, I could, as the price of the token goes up because of the value that the podcast create, um, I could trade it or I could do something else with the money, but it's, it's a fact that we're able to commoditize something like that in a different way that has never been done before. You know, it's not so much reviews, it's not feedback or a listener count or download count. It's like what was actually created on right. the podcast and what makes it valuable, huh. you know? Cause you might, you might've just just given me my next project, create a podcast (laughs) token.
2: But the reason, and I, I still, I admit like I'm 10% of the way there. And I usually, I pride myself in like, if I ask enough questions, I feel like I get like 80% of the way there. And I just can't with this one. Now, keep in mind, I have a finance background. So like I'm fighting all types of old rules, I think. But with that 10% understanding, what I hope is it will provide more reward for authentic value than like forced value. I could have an hour long discussion on that because I could see somebody saying your judge of authentic is not mine and money currently serves that purpose. Like the reason your show, whether you want to admit it or not is not as popular as Joe Rogan or is not worth as much is because people are voting with their ears. And so maybe a token is just another word for it.
1: I mean, again, yeah, we're just, we're just, I mean, we're just totally making it poetic up. Poetic here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to get into NFTs. Yes, yeah,
2: so that's the natural transition. Let's, so NFTs, tell us about them. Why am I paying money um, for a a a, a picture?
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, back in the good old days of 2021, when NFTs were in their infancy. Well, actually, so Bored Ape Yacht Club is like the biggest example. Those were actually made in 2017. And so it took four years for it to mature to the point where it became such a huge deal um and it was more of an experiment and and uh you know but now what so it started with jpegs um and uh, the big movement right now which is kind of annoys me is like profile picture collections so it's like such a huge flex to change your twitter profile picture to a board ape yacht club ah so that's where you see them everywhere crypto punks Club. Now there's thousands of different profile picture projects and, and like some of them are cool. Um, but it is really art right now. If, if you're an art collector and if you like the art, you can invest in the art, you know, and that's really cool. Um, and then you can also, because it's a, it's a unique digital asset, you can let it appreciate, you can sell it, you know, all those things. But what's happening now is, since that happened with Bordeaux Yacht Club, they actually, last year at some point, rented an actual yacht, the people that created the whole collection, and then everyone was invited that owned a Bordeaux Yacht Club image, and that was their ticket to get into the yacht. So you had to prove ownership because you could with your phone that you were holder of a holder of a Bordeaux Yacht Club, and that was your ticket into the, to the party. So, so quite literally, you were admitted into an exclusive club Uh, in in person but what that opened the door into was okay now that we can um, authenticate ownership uh, of one person for one piece of art that we provide uh, that allows us to create a community exclusively around those pieces of art so so what started as a cool jpeg is now just the very beginning to an entire roadmap of community building uh, through the nft Um, and so there's another example that happened recently Robert Mondavi uh, the wine collection, the wine company they uh, partnered with a ceramic Italian ceramic company to make these custom bottles and then they partnered with another generative computer artist to create I think it was like a thousand or five thousand pieces of unique art through code Uh, and they sold the pieces of art on OpenSea but once you bought that piece of art, you got the bottle and then you got a ticket to an event that's happening later on this year to celebrate this anniversary of Mondavi, you know? So, so that's the really fascinating thing about NFTs that's happening right now is, is the ticketed exclusive community operation that's going on.
2: Okay, Rick. Okay. Check this. NFTs are more useful than crypto. But crypto is the only or the most effective way to buy NFTs. Now, the whole coin argument makes sense. However, it only needs to be one coin. So why I like what you're saying there is, again, just for sake of sanity and because, hey, if you listen to this podcast, you'd probably like us for some reason, right? Let's go back to why I couldn't understand the podcast coin. But instead, I created a smart people podcast NFT. And it's a, you know, own uh, a clip of an audio, right? And like, that's cool and all. I don't know, whatever. Maybe you just really like the clip, but that's not the point. The point is you found us in 2011 and we're much bigger now. And so when you supported us by buying an NFT in 2000. 11, thank you. And you're also an early supporter and you also like finding value and you also went and shared it with your people. And so now it's bigger and guess what? We're throwing a party where we're gonna do a live event where Brene Brown and and Rick Plouts are coming. And guess what? You don't have to pay. You're you're part of the club. Because you supported us 10 years ago, like I'm gonna
1: do this every year because you are an OG, boom. Like that's awesome. Exactly. That's what makes it great. And that's again, just the beginning.
2: So, do you think it's fair to say then that NFTs really are an example of why crypto can be useful?
1: Yeah no it's it's onboarding millions of people into Web three because of their following the craze of NFTs. Yeah. It's a funny fact, a funny thing I've noticed. like so on the Robert Mandavi website, uh, they provide the checkout. You can buy the NFT on their website. Um, and it's just for the credit card like any any other digital transaction you would do normally but it's three and a half grand and flat and then you go to OpenSea where they actually are selling the the NFTs and it's like a thousand bucks cheaper but it's an Ethereum and you have to so you have to know how to do everything you have to have the wallet you have wow. to have the ether like all that stuff to buy it on OpenSea for a thousand bucks cheaper or you just pull your credit card out on the website and pay a flat freight, you know, huh. and no one knows that like, if you don't know anything about web three and crypto, but you like the Mondavi brand, you'll shell out the money and not have it be a problem. Like it there's no, it's just a typical expense, you know, like the same old way you would always do it. Um, and so like, there's a lot of companies right now, Coinbase is doing it where they're just basically making it super easy for you to buy NFTs The old-fashioned way, quote unquote. Um, But if you want to, if you if you're in the know, you can get it cheaper. That's just one example I saw that was really kind of fascinating. Like that's another way of people of onboarding people into this process.
2: The open sea market is that a secondary market? Like is that people reselling? Because why would they exist for cheaper on there? I understand the 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 barriers to entry, but like or is that Robert Mandavi saying come to our website? It's three and a half, you know, thirty five hundred dollars. But you go to this place, OpenSea, and it's it's twenty five hundred worth of ether.
1: No, that's that's where they're actually selling the NFTs. OpenSea is like the Ethereum marketplace for NFTs. So, yeah. why do that? Why, why change the? Did,
2: is it because they want people to come into Web three? So strange. Yeah, they
1: well they want to be relevant into Web three, and they realize that uh, probably a lot of their audience doesn't understand the process because it is very clunky yeah, and kind of annoying. Yeah. They don't understand the process. They don't really care, but they like what they but they want to buy something, you know. And so it's almost like they're charging more for the convenience. Oh my god. Okay, this is
2: funny. This is just to highlight like how hard change is. For some odd reason, my brain went, why would they offer it for 3500 in cash and then discount it for crypto as opposed to my kids are probably going to go Why would they offer it for $2,500 in crypto and then $1,000 more in cash? Like It's just the fact that we're based, I'm based in dollars and then go from there, as opposed to being based in crypto and going up to dollars. That's just one tiny example of how this is such a hard conversation to have because of the paradigm shift and where we're currently grounded.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's fascinating. The way I see NFTs going in the future is uh, it's gonna become our car titles, our mortgages, our health records. This is just the very beginning of what is possible with uh, a digital asset that's cryptographically secured. We're just at the very beginning.
2: Is that because everything's digitized and this is a way of securing digital information and providing ownership in a way that is secure?
1: Very difficult to have. Yeah.
2: What do you think the implications of that are? The fact that most I mean look if if we all agree and most people do at this point thanks to Facebook that like data is one of our most important assets and that will be an NFT for for better or worse what are the implications
1: of that I mean I think it's it's part of the overarching narrative that uh we're taking our data back and owning it as opposed to giving it away for free to large corporations to to, to do whatever they want with that's the hope uh I don't know you know, I mean, I hate to say this and I don't want to live in a world that does this, but uh, maybe we'll be chipped one day and the chips will have our data and the data will be NFTs. And like, much like we have our phones right now with our wallets, like our digital wallets that have the crypto in them that also have the NFTs in them, that's kind of right now our our proof of identity on, on Web3 or the internet is what the NFTs are that we own. And I can see in the future, there's just a huge list of of NFTs of of like our social security card, birth certificate, driver's license, and uh, they're all available on our phone. But then people could get chipped, and then you could just be a chip, and then it's like I don't know. That scares me. But like the idea is, we can own our data in a central place that's digital, so it's way easy to do everything as opposed to using paper, um, and it's also secure. That's
2: funny. When you were talking about like your social security card, for some reason it jumped out to me that. First of all, I love what you said there. I think it makes a lot of sense, and I could also imagine a world very soon, perhaps as soon as when my my kids are adults, but where the fact that we carried or we had to like show a social security card is not just laughable beyond comprehension. So think about it now. Like you go to get when you get a new job, bring three forms of identification. It totally makes sense now, of course, but the fact that those might be bits and bytes. You'll never actually see a social security card? That's interesting. Insecure. Right. And makes sense. And you're the only one that can own it. Okay, last question. How do I get rich off of this? <laughs> 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 oh man. Uh Besides like creating a crappy JPEG NFT and like trying to hype the market up. Now, from a more realistic
1: perspective, what are opportunities? Oh man. Oof. I know that's a big one. I mean, Building something is always going to be the best. But I think, just like what Bezos said, like look at the pain points of what people are going through right now. And there are a lot. And it's all very clunky. It's We're in the dial-up modem phase right now. So there's a ton of problems. So whatever you can create that makes it easier for people to do things with is always going to be the best option. Um, and there's a ton of problems right now. And I think, honestly, Ethereum as a blockchain is not going to be the one going forward it's the it's the one that worked but it's uh, super inefficient really energy intensive uh, it's not available it's not able to do the things that we can do with it that we need to there's plenty of other blockchains happening being um, rich off of it you know I think honestly for you it would be beyond a thought leader and a resource for people as they're learning to be on to come on board
2: I like where your heads at, right use what you have applied to the concepts we discussed, to make that world more in line with your vision, whatever that vision is. And it's so, so early still. Right. That's also going to help people get rich. Yeah. I love comparing it to the past because it's an easier way for our brains to think. But if you go back to the Bezos example, take what he knows. He was a finance guy. He was kind of a nerd and he knew money and he knew like calculations and I could probably build a way to send books and then grow with the technology as it grows. But if that's not your thing, if you're you, you're focused on the art component or the graphics component. If you're, I don't know, a a teacher, you might think about how do I bring the human element to it or who knows? I mean, and the point, I think my hope is it's, uh, maybe this is just totally Pollyanna, but you know, the creators typically are not the ones to bastardize something new. They're They're the ones to actually do it for the right reasons, recognizing the world can be a better place. So, How can we do it in a way that makes it a better place? I mean, this podcast, we've said a million times, in no no realm of possibility did we start this with the single thought of creating a dollar. It it was genuinely going to be a a loss for its entirety. Now, the fact that it's made some money and enough to cover expenses was a lucky accident. But point is, I'd like to think those tend to be some of the the, the coolest outcomes. and, And there's stuff to be said about that in Web3. All right. First of all, Rick, I really appreciate it. What's your plug? Everybody we talk to has books. Tell us about, uh, you know, sell us something, Rick, or else I won't feel right taking your time.
1: Man, I just wanna say thanks a ton for having me. Uh, it's, been, it's been awesome. And I, I, you know, honestly for me, I wanna help people understand what's happening with Web3 right now. And I've got my website, it's uh, rickplouts.com. And you can email me there. You can set up a time to talk. I just really want to help people understand, not just personally, but I, I think from my background with uh, the Brand Center, just understand from a company perspective how you can position yourself in, in what's coming in the next decade, really. Uh, I have Twitter on there. And, uh, yeah, it's really just my website.
2: And we'll link
1: to that rickplouts.com, I think what you just
2: highlighted is critical. So many people listening to this show acquire information to create, right? That's one of the reasons anyone would want to learn everything about everything. And like, if this is, if you believe that this is some way going to play a big part in the future, then probably should understand it in order to create. So, you know, can reach out to you for those purposes as well, whether you're CEO, entrepreneur, you know, consultant, whatever. Is that fair?
1: Definitely. Cool. Thank
2: you. So we'll link to that. All right, Rick, really appreciate it. Thanks for sharing your uh, your curiosity and wisdom with us. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rick Plouts. To find out more about Rick, you can head over to his website, rickplouts.com. That's R-I-C-K-P-L-A-U-T-Z dot com. Or follow them on Twitter, R underscore plouts. Again, that's R underscore P-L-A-U-T-Z. Let's knock out the quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And of course, if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com, and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Stay tuned because we've got a lot of great announcements coming up. And of course, we have more amazing interviews. So we'll see you all next episode.